Hi there, my name is Ariel Katombela. I am a friend and disciple of Jesus, pursuer of justice, a passionate communicator of the most liberating story of all time, the gospel of Jesus. And welcome to the Free Indeed podcast. A while back, I read an article about a young woman whose personality was completely altered by a brain injury she had suffered in a car crash. She remembered no one and could not fit into the life that she had previously built. Her ideals, ideas and beliefs were all dismantled and she had to start rebuilding all these things from scratch. Me being me, the story had me wondering, if God forbid I lose my memory in a similar way, would I still be a Christian? Would I remember all the lessons that God had taught me throughout my life? Would I know him? Would I have the same relationship I have with him today? I guess a more sophisticated and well thought through version of this question would be, is our faith just a culmination of our knowledge, experiences and emotions, or is it something not confined to our human bodies and our own control? We as Christians sometimes believe that we need to frantically hold on to the knowledge we've accumulated over time and that the strength of our faith is hinged on our ability to understand. We white knuckle our faith with the fear that some opposing information might throw us off orbit. In essence, we place more faith on our faith than we place faith in the God of our faith, who is its author and perfecter. My hope is that by the end of this episode, we could come to a place where we are more open-handed with our beliefs and we can embrace the freedom that comes with knowing that it's okay to do that. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first thing I want to address is emotion. For the longest time, I relied on my emotions to determine whether or not I believed. On good days, I felt super Christian. And when I was in a bad space, I really wrestled with my faith. Even when I prayed, I relied on a sensation of peace and elation to determine whether or not my faith was real. If I didn't feel it, I would walk away disappointed and feeling unheard. I'd feel as if something stood between me and God. I made the mistake of believing that my emotions were the be-all and all of my spirituality. Emotions are great guidelines, but are not to be fully relied on, especially when it comes to something like faith. I for one should know this, and I even have receipts. When I was a kid, the other kids I used to play with actually held an intervention to address my inability to handle my emotions. Yes, I said it. An intervention. I was like six or seven years old and I remember leaving home that morning all excited to play with my so-called friends. I just hoped that it was not cricket. That was the only issue on my mind because I hated cricket. When I arrived at the churchyard where we were playing, all the kids were already sitting there and waiting. I was so confused. When I got there, they were like, Ariel, we've decided that we need to talk to you about your crying. They sat me down and one by one, everyone said their piece about each time I cried during a game and frustrated them. They also spoke about how sulky I can get when things don't go my way. Even my own sister, my day one, y'all, she turned on me. She was on some, it's true. And I mean, no, I don't blame her because she was right. They were all right. I still felt betrayed though. And in that moment my emotions began to rise inside of me. I felt anger. I felt frustration. I was annoyed by this feeling of betrayal and the lack of control. And the only thing my body knew how to do was cry. 
Ooh, but I sat there and I held them tears back. What was not going to happen is me giving them evidence to further implicate me about my crying. So I fought back these tears like a boss and I tried to get myself out of that situation. Eventually, I came up with an excuse. I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm pressed. I need to go now. Um, they let me go. I went into the bathroom and child, if I tell you that I cried, I cried. I bawled my eyes out. I was livid. <laughs> I couldn't help the tears flowing down my face and I was so frustrated. Eventually, I pulled myself together and went back um, into the firing line and took the rest of it like a boss. They bargained with me and said, if I want to continue to play with them, I would have to promise to never cry again false i cried again and they were still my friends so boom another piece of evidence i'd say is that for most of my life i would wake up in the morning feeling furious and i don't mean like grumpy or needing a cup of coffee to cheer up no i was angry if someone said hi to me it felt like they were throwing a dagger my direction and i would want to retaliate this got to the point where i just did not want to be this person anymore and I really had to take it to the Lord and I asked God to change that in me. And I'm so grateful to say that he did. I'm not saying I'm a morning person now per se, but I'm no longer like five seconds from choking someone out in the morning. Anyways, all this to say that my emotions are probably not the most reliable thing in determining something as important as my faith. I must say though that emotions have a bad rap. I want to highlight that they are given to us by God and they help us connect with him. They help us process the world around us and they absolutely allow us to love God. So emotions are great, but they are not what causes us to have steadfast faith in Jesus. So another aspect I'll look at is head knowledge. Earlier, I asked if faith is a culmination of ideas that work together to keep us believing, loving and obeying Jesus, i.e. head knowledge. If the answer to this was yes, then this idea would assume that people with a higher intellectual capacity have a deeper faith. One's love and devotion for Jesus is not dependent upon the depth of their knowledge of him. And on the flip side, some people think to believe in Jesus, one must let go of all intellect. Or that followers of Christ are often the poor, uneducated and not very intelligent. Again, this can't be true. Various people from all walks of life throughout history have followed Jesus. This shows us that faith is not necessarily dependent on intellect or the lack thereof. By just looking at the people Jesus took as his disciples, we know that there must have been something more than just a personal liking to him and his words that caused them to follow him and eventually die for his cause. Among his disciples were fishermen, tax collectors, farmers, and people of various walks of life who had every reason to reject him and call him a blasphemer. But instead, they left everything they loved and devoted their lives to following him and making him known. I think of the scenario in John 6 when Jesus told Oaks to eat his flesh and drink his blood. So in the story, Jesus said this in John 6, 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue of Capernaum. I mean, he was chilling in the synagogue. He was in the temple and speaking such shocking things. So after he says this and much dialogue and doubt from the crowd, the Bible tells us in verse 65 that he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled them. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The Bible then tells us that at this point, he was only left with the 12. I sometimes think of where I'd fit into society if I were a Hebrew living in that era. Would I be a follower of the way? Would I be a staunch follower of Jewish laws? I would probably be somebody who would say stuff like, but the law of Moses says, or that's blasphemy. I really wouldn't know unless I was in that context. But looking at myself today, with all my doubts and all my questions, something in me remains steadfast. The best word I can think of is the word anchored. When it feels like my walk with Jesus is tossed about like a furious storm, like there's wind and there's lightning and dark clouds, and if my faith were a little boat, it would be swishing about, looking like it will be taken away from the dock. The anchor that remains unmoved below the surface is what holds everything steady. Before I stray too far from the topic, I want to go back to knowledge. The word omniscience is a word to describe an aspect of God's nature. It means he is all-knowing. It also means that he cannot learn anything new because he possesses all there is to know about all there is to know. Us as humans, on the other hand, have to attain knowledge. Through our experiences, discoveries and research, we grow in knowledge and adjust our lives, beliefs and norms to accommodate whatever newfound information we have unveiled. If this is true, then it would be safe to say that on our own, we have absolutely no way of grasping the fullness of a God who's beyond time and space, a God who is infinite and who is the beginning and end of all things, a God who does not learn, but possesses all knowledge. His word says, for by him, for him and through him, all things were created. For us who learn and discover and grow, such knowledge is beyond our grasp and that is okay. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 19 says, For the wisdom of this world is folly or foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, so let no one boast in men. If you believe that your mind has fully conceived the vastness of God, then what you have conceived may not be God at all. The same can be said about the notion that we can prove or disprove God based on the deductions we have made with our limited knowledge. Yes, a knowledge that is ever-developing and ever-growing, but it will always fall short of the expanse of what there is to know about God. I'll even go as far as saying that a great starting point for a faith that is authentic is admitting defeat. We must realize that our knowledge of God is only a fraction of His grandeur, and that surely we don't have the capacity to formulate the knowledge of him by ourselves, much less the continuous trust and belief we have in him. So now that we've covered emotions slash feelings and head knowledge, 
I hope I've managed to explain that both these things are beautiful and so beneficial to our faith journey. They add to our experience of Jesus and give us an appetite to know him and know about him. So, with all that said, what then is the answer to the question? Is our faith just a culmination of knowledge, experiences and emotions? Or is it something not confined to our human bodies and our control? Let's think about what we actually believe for a moment. As Christians, we believe that this creator of all things wanted relationship with us, even if we betrayed him and separated ourselves from him. Because of this desire, he gave his only son, who is God himself, to be born in an obscure town in Israel, to walk among his creation in the same form and transform their lives as he did this, to subject himself to hatred, mockery, rejection, and even a gruesome, humiliating death. But that after three days, he would rise from that death and make atonement, which means making amends for wrong, for our betrayal and put us in right standing with our creator again. It sounds a little bit weird, right? But for some reason, for those who believe it, it feels like a refreshing dose of hope and freedom. I'm not alone in saying this. It's biblical. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 tells us this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the distinguishing factor? What determines whether our ears hear foolishness or the power of God? 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 offers us a response to this. It says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject merely to human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This verse gives us the answer to our question. This tells us that the person with the Spirit is not merely subject to human judgments. Think about my reference of the omniscience of God. Him having knowledge of things that are way beyond our capacity to hold. This verse tells us that we have the mind of Christ. This means that our ideas and thoughts of Christ are given to us when we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Things that we'd never have grasped or even thought about if it wasn't for God giving us the ability to even think about these things. So the determining factor for whether we hear foolishness when we hear the gospel or if we hear the power of God, according to the verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, is the Holy Spirit. I'll wrap up with this. I recently had a day where my faith was challenged. It was a build-up, but that day particularly felt overwhelming in more ways than one. I decided to go back to bed because I didn't want to deal with the day. So many things were happening that went against what I knew to be true about God. My head and my thoughts began to make deductions about the inconsistencies of my faith and my bruised emotions cheered them on. But something within me was unmoved. Something in me knew that this too will pass and it kept confirming the nature of the God I put my faith in. I picked up my phone and typed these words into my notes. The work of the Holy Spirit within us is so beautiful. 
Even on our worst days, we experience a stubborn hope within us that refuses to bend to the will of our disappointment, but inexplicably embraces peace and joy. Our faith can feel fragile when we rely on our own strength and knowledge to sustain and grow it. Our knowledge and emotions allow us to embrace the truth of God within our reality, but ultimately, we know God because through the Holy Spirit, He has made provisions for us to know Him. I pray that this information would allow you to surrender your walk with God into the hands of God and that you'd allow Him to lead you. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.